0: Is Jesus the glorious Christ? I know he is today, but will he be on Monday? Will he still be glorious in your life? I'd like to thank uh, Parker for his resurrection story. It's amazing that God can use anyone to draw us to himself, even our little kids. Praise God that he used even little kids to draw his people closer to him. If you have your Bible, please open it to uh, John 13. John 13. That seems to be the case with me. I was going to do uh, 11 verses today, but as I started writing, we're only going to get through three verses. So I have no problem with going through God's Word slowly. Hollywood continues to have a fascination with Jesus. There are two more movies about him coming out this year. One is called The Young Messiah. It's a movie that attempts to paint a picture of Jesus' childhood. The second one is called Risen. This story is about a Roman soldier who's been charged with investigating the rumors of a risen Messiah. And these release dates for these movies, it's kind of uh, perfect because we know Easter is just right around the corner. And many people will see these films, Non-believers, the the skeptic, the seeker, the believer. And some of you may see them too, and that's fine. But the question I have is, to you and to, to others, is why are we really fascinated with Jesus? Why are we fascinated with him? I wonder if, if this a fascination with him. It's simply entertainment. We're entertained by him. Those movies, they would entertain many. But will they change any? Will they change anybody? Even within the church, people can come to be entertained by Jesus. To be entertained by his life. We want to be entertained, but we don't want to be changed. And and Jesus doesn't really play that type of game with us. He doesn't want us to be entertained by his birth, by his ministry, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension. He wants us to embrace them in order that they can change us. You see, his all those things about Jesus, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, all those things are a reflection of his resurrection love for you. His love for you. And so this Easter, we're going to see a picture of this resurrection love of Christ. The picture happens during his Passion Week, after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in the middle of the feast of Passover. It happens within the upper room with his disciples. It's during the last supper. In this upper room, Jesus paints a master portrait of his resurrection love for his disciples and for you. Not just for them, it's for you as well. The portrait doesn't begin with his love. The portrait begins with Jesus. For the way he loves flows directly out of who he is. The way he loves flows directly out of who he is. So if you have your Bible, John 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during separate time, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to uh, this time and, and this worship service, to the preaching of, of your word, Lord, as, as Larry said, Lord, we need the spirit to help us. Because if the spirit doesn't move, these, these words have no power. These words will not convict us. These words will not encourage us. So the spirit has to be here. He has to be here. He has to move. And so, Holy Spirit, we we pray to you. We don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to be a motivational speaker. I want the the word of God to, to come into my heart and go into the hearts of everyone that's here to change us. So, Holy Spirit, you know where each of us are today. You see us clearly. You know what we need to hear today. And so I pray that each of us will get from the word today what we need today so that we can go back out and engage in all the things you have called us to engage in for your glory. We need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged. We need to be empowered. Some of us are tired. Some of us are weary. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us may even be blind to our issues. Holy Spirit, minister to the bride of Christ that exists in this church. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of who Jesus is, he loves with a resurrection love. Jesus loves with a resurrection love because of who he is. So who is he? Who is he? This is the question that we always ask ourselves around this time of the year, around Christmas and around Easter. we always dealing with this question, who is Jesus? It's the question that those two movies that are coming out this year, that's the question they're answering. Who is Jesus? Historians have, 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 for generations, have been trying to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Liberal Christians, conservative Christians have been trying to answer this question. Who is Jesus? This season... Churches are going to have a a Thursday service before Easter. They're going to have a sunrise service. They're going to have an Easter service, all dealing with the same question, who is Jesus? Some churches are going to have Easter speeches, Easter plays, all dealing with the same question. And people will come to church on Easter, dressed up in their nice, pretty outfits, to hear sermons, answering the same question, who is Jesus Christ? It's a good question. And we spend a lot of time and energy telling people who we think Jesus is. We can also spend a lot of time creating a Jesus who fits into our own way of life. And we all do that. But this Easter, let's do something different. Can we do something different? Y'all can participate. You can answer that question. Yes, let's do something different. How about we let Jesus speak for himself? What does Jesus think about himself? Who does Jesus think he is? When Jesus looks in the mirror, who does he see? Who does he see? Does he see just a carpenter? Does he see just a Jewish rabbi? Does he see just a miracle worker? Does he see just another Jewish teacher? Is that who Jesus see when he looks in the mirror and see the reflection? Those questions are important. For who Jesus is makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. We're we're too quick to jump to the works of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, and the blessings of Jesus. We can jump too quickly to those and and, and fail to to highlight that all those things flow from who he is. Because if he's not who he says he is, none of his actions mean anything. None of his words mean anything. None of the things he promised you mean anything he might as well just be another politician making promises he can't deliver if he's not who he says he is. Who he is makes what he does powerful and effective. Who he is shapes the way he loves his people. It influences the way he loves. He loves with a resurrection love because of who he is. If he's not who he says he is, then his love is no different than your love. No different than my love. Our love is flawed. Our love is imperfect. Our love is broken. No matter how good a parent we are or how great a spouse we are, our love is still imperfect. And if Jesus is not who he claims to be, so is his love. Again, when Jesus looks in the mirror, Who does he see? Who's in that reflection? Who's that man? Who is he when he looks in the mirror? He's going to show us what he sees in the mirror today. He does so in the upper room. In the upper room. This upper room gathering is not for, for many people to be there. It's not for Jesus and the masses. No, this upper room meeting is just for Jesus and his 12 disciples. They're going to share a Passover meal in this upper room. So on the first day of unleavened bread, Jesus' disciples, they come to him. This is after the, the triumphal entry. They come to him. He says, where shall we go to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus. All the disciples come out 12 of them, even Judas. He says to them, go into the city to a certain man, carrying a, war, a jug of water, and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And Jesus continues. He said, this man will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, and there you shall prepare for us. So the twelve, they heed Jesus' orders, and, and they go into the city, and they find this man with the water jar, and this man takes them to the upper room, and they go into the upper room, and they prepare the meal. And later that evening, they all return there, reclining At the dinner table. And at the dinner table, Jesus says this to his disciples. With great desire have I desired to eat this Passover meal with you. With great desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. This is an intimate gathering between Jesus and his disciples. This upper room gathering is the last supper he will have with them before he suffers his last meeting with him. For Jesus knows what is getting ready to happen. He knows it. He enters this upper room fully knowing the truth about who he is and the truth about what he has to do. He's not confused. He's not delusional. And Jesus, and guess what, Jesus doesn't need to take a personal retreat to find himself. Okay? He's not going to have a Jesus finds himself special on the own network. He doesn't need to go talk to Oprah to find out who he is. Jesus doesn't stumble into who he is. He he doesn't have an identity crisis. He's comfortable in his own skin. He knows who he is. He has perfect self-knowledge of who he is and what he has to do. He's not confused. And this Self-knowledge is revealed to us at this one meal. First, he reveals self-knowledge of what he has to do. Self-knowledge about what he has to do. John says in verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, Jesus already knew that his hour to depart out of this world to the Father had come. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knows that his hour has come. What does that mean? What is he referring to? This is self-knowledge. He knew that this hour has, was coming long before they went into the upper room. It wasn't, it does not come to him by accident. It's something that he knew throughout his life. It's something he's always known. That phrase, his hour is used throughout the Gospel of John, regularly throughout the Gospel of John, in John 2:4 and John 7:3 and John 8:20, it says Jesus, this hour has not come. But here, but in John 12:23 and in our passage, it has. The hour is the climax of Jesus' three years of ministry. It's the climax. It's coming to an end. Is the fulfillment of what the father had gave him to do. The completion of the work the father has put into his hands. And Jesus clearly knows what is necessary for him to finish the work. He knows it. He knows what is expected of him. There used to be a show on ABC called Super Nanny. And this show followed was about one nanny who would come in and, and help struggling parents with their children's behavior. And my kid and I used to watch the show uh, here and there, and what you see throughout the show that the problem really wasn't with the kids, it was with the parents. It was the parents. Because they struggled to fulfill their responsibility as parents. They didn't know how to do it. So they called in the nanny to help them tweak the way that they were parenting their kids. And so similarly, all of us sometimes need help in order to help us get over the hump to do what's expected of us. As parents, as pastors, as leaders, as an employee, as students, sometimes we need assistance. Sometimes we may need our own version of a super nanny. Because some of us need help when it comes to coaching. Some of us may need to see a counselor. Some of us may, may need a life scope. Some of us may need a financial counselor. Because we're not perfect. We don't always fulfill what we're suspected of of us because sometimes we need help to do it. Now, when we reduce Jesus down to our level, we can sometimes think Jesus needs the same help. And sometimes he's so much like us that somehow he's going to need help to fulfill what God has placed in his hands to do. Jesus doesn't need a supernanny. He doesn't need assistance and help to fulfill what the Father has called him to do. Even though Jesus is sharing his Passover meal with his disciples, there's one thing he's not going to share with them. He's not going to share this hour with them. Think about that. One thing that he's not going to share with them and it's that hour. He's not going to share it with them. He doesn't need their participation in it. He doesn't need their help to get him to the, over the, to the cross. It's not theirs to help them. The hour is Jesus' hour, and only he can fulfill it without our assistance. His hour is his death on the cross. It's his resurrection from the grave. It's his humiliation. It's his glorification. The hour is where he takes your place on the cross. Do you believe it? His hour is where he suffers. His hour is where the Father pours out all of his wrath upon his own son for your sin. That's his hour. And he doesn't share that with you. He doesn't share that with the twelve because they can't bear it. The hour is where he pays the price for your sins. And I should be hearing some amens somewhere here. Yeah. Well, are we Christians here? Come on. should be hearing some. Because this, is, this hour is for your benefit. Because if he didn't do, go through this hour, I, I, doesn't, I don't even need to be here. None of this makes sense if he did not fulfill the hour. This is pointless. This is foolishness. If, if this hour didn't happen. So this should move you to praise. This hour is where he makes you right with God. It's where he makes a way for you to know God. This hour is where he defeats sin and death. This hour is where he rises from the grave, dusting the dirt off of his shoulders and stumping the head of the serpent. Uh, amen statement there, please. His hour is where he says, now the ruler of this world is cast out. Jesus knows what he has to do. He knows it. This hour is where he is glorified and he will depart to the Father. He knows this. And in John 12, 27, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled? Now is my soul troubled? What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He knows his purpose. He knows why he came in the incarnation. This is not something that the gospel writers just made up. This is Jesus' self-knowledge. It's what he believes about himself. He knows his purpose. He knows why he was sent in the incarnation. He knows what he has to do. He knows that he's the only one that can do it. Because he knows who he is. That's why he can do all those things. Because who he is makes all the difference in the world. See, Jesus is not a madman. He's not delusional. He's not a lunatic. He is who he claims to be. In verses 2 and 3, John tells us that during supper, uh, the enemy has already put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And and in the supper, he said Jesus knew that the Father had given all things in his hands. He knew that he had come from God and going back. He knew those things. He believed those things. So when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees the son of God. That's what he sees. He knows that he came from God. It means he knows he's more than just a man. Do you know that he's more than just a man? He does. Regardless of what you believe, he knows who he is. And who he is does not depend upon what you believe. Or your acceptance of it. He is who he claims to be. He knows that he is God's son. He knows that he is both human and divine. So when he looks in the mirror. He sees that he has two natures. That he is God and man. Both at the same time. He knows that about himself. He was born that way. But do you believe it? That he is both God and and man. The Christmas song named Mary, Mary, did you know, says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is, is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you holding is the great I am. I need to sit there for a moment. Let's sit there for a moment. What does that mean? It means Jesus is Yahweh. That's what it means. Jesus is Yahweh Elohim. That's what it means. So when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees God. Who do you see? Who is Jesus to you? So you can't reduce Jesus so far down to your level because he's God. He's other than you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and that is Jesus. Jesus is a great I am, and he knows this. He knows it. Next, Jesus knows that the Father had given all things into his hands. The Father has given all things into His hands. That means everything. That's what it means. You know how have to look at the Greek and Hebrew for that. The Greek for that. Everything means everything. Everything He has given into Jesus' hands. There is nothing in all this world that does not belong to Him. Even the Oval Office in our country belongs to Him, regardless of who sat there. Everything He has given into Jesus' hands. This means all things that were made was made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All authority on heaven and on earth, God has given to his Son. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones, dominions, Rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. There is nothing in all creation that Jesus hasn't said, that belongs to me. That's Jesus. Is that your Jesus? Is that your Jesus? In, and he is before all things. In him. All things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in him, in in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to him all things, rather on heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is Jesus, but is that your Jesus? So when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees a prophet, priest, and a king. Is that what you see? When Jesus looks into the mirror, he sees the Messiah, not a Messiah. Is that who you see when you look into Jesus? The Redeemer of God's people, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is that who you see? Is that your Jesus? Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he has to do. He knows that all of his works and his actions and deeds flow directly from who he is. He doesn't need a public relations person. Nor does he need his own Olivia Pope. He can handle his own reputation and image. But can you handle it? Can you handle Jesus' image? Can you handle Jesus' reputation? Or do you want Jesus of your own imagination? This is important. Because you won't ever understand Jesus' love if you don't understand who Jesus is. You can't understand his love if you don't understand who he is. Because if he's not who he claims to be, then none of the things he does means anything. Many people want Jesus to fit into their view of the world they want Jesus to fit into their view of government into their view of the church into their view of our country into their lifestyle into their bank account into their dreams you want Jesus to, to, to fit into our ungodly ways into our view of male and female so when we, we have a tendency to reduce the king of all creation down to nothing more than just a butler who's there for our beck and call. And I got to tell you, Jesus is many things, but he ain't ever going to be your butler. He ain't ever going to be your butler. He ain't ever going to fit into your life the way you want him to fit. He calls you to surrender everything to him. And you can't expect people who don't know him to do that. You who know him. To surrender to him. Everything that you have. Everything that you think you own. Everything you think that it belongs to you. You bring it to him. Because of who he is. When you understand that Jesus is God. When you understand that he is your savior. He is your prophet. He is your priest. He is your king. He is your God. He is your Lord. He is your provider. He is your sustainer. He is your everything. When you understand that, then you get a picture of what it means for him to love you with a love that I call resurrection love. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are who you claim to be. You're not a Jesus of my own imagination. You are the Christ. You are the God man. You are the Lamb of God. You are the Son of God. You are all these things. And if we don't accept these things, we can't understand what you do. We can't understand your love. We can't understand your ministry if we don't first accept who you are and embrace who you are as your people. And so as we go out this week, I pray that we will see you as you are. Minister to us. Help us to believe that Jesus is more than just a teacher. He is God. He is the great I am. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service.